faithful listeners, all my homies, welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys, with us this week, we are joined by Tyler Walters of northwestern part of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area. In this episode, we go over something that I am very unfamiliar with, and I superly enjoyed this conversation, waterfowl hunting. Guys, I am not a waterfowl hunter. In fact, I have never even been on a waterfowl hunt, and I'm sure that after this episode, I may receive a couple invites, and that excites me. So, in this episode, Tyler graces us with a lot of the things that they do going into a season and what they look for to go and kill some duck and some geese. And uh, I was really surprised with the amount of work and scouting that goes into getting these birds on the ground uh, between getting permission and, and finding them. And I really enjoyed hearing the way that, that him and his crew uh, have their traditions and, and how they are able to go out and kill these birds. And we also get to talking about banded birds, which is something that I'm not really familiar with and, and I was excited to learn about. Also talk about flight patterns and, and where these birds can move and how cool it is to be able to track them. And also towards the end of this episode, guys, we get into a little el- elusive white-tailed deer talk here in Pennsylvania between rolls, regs, um, a whole bunch of stuff, man. This was a great episode, and I really enjoyed this conversation with Tyler, and I think you guys will too. Once again, want to thank you guys for tuning in. All the love and support. Thank you very much. I'm always grateful. Also, guys, you know the drill. Head on over to Apple and Spotify. Rate, comment, review, please, and thank you. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys, with us this week, we are joined by Tyler Walters. Tyler is from up around the northwest section of Pennsylvania, and he's going to drop some waterfowl hunting knowledge on us. Maybe we'll talk about a little uh, duck and and possibly maybe even get in some turkey talk. We don't we don't really know where this conversation is going to head, but I was telling him, I'm, you know, I'm not a waterfowl hunter, and I'm just going to steer this conversation around the best that I can and, and navigate these waters. But Tyler, how are you, brother? Good man, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited about this conversation. It's it's funny that him and I were talking before we come on, and um, we are very well versed in locations near uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, we 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 know our way around that area, and 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 we were clicking on all cylinders there. So, um, where you know where are you from? Do a little introduction for yourself. Who you are? What you got going on? Yeah, my name's Tyler Walters. Like um, uh, like you said, I'm uh. Now with Creekside Wildlife with Mike Miller mm-hmm. that you had on a couple of weeks yep. ago, um, a couple of my guys and a couple of his guys kind of joined joined tasks, and you know we now have a YouTube channel and the whole nine yards, and you know Mike's kind of our brains of the operation, and we're kind of like the brawn of the operation. <laughs> he just kind of leads us and tells us what to do and how to do it, and we try our best to capture it all on film. But uh, yeah, like you said, I'm up from Northwest Pennsylvania, just thirty minutes south of Lake Erie. Um, and uh like i said a big waterfowl hunter um very fortunate to have the group of guys i do to uh waterfowl hunt you know our season in pennsylvania we can hunt from september 1st to the end of february waterfowl and uh if you add those months up that's half the year so you really gotta like the guys you hunt with and you really gotta have a good group in order for it to work so very fortunate there but you know we kind of dabble in 
little bit of everything. Like I said, I, I deer hunt mainly because during the week, like, um, living down in Pittsburgh that it's hard for me to get to my waterfowl spots. So I do enjoy deer hunting, the, the urban style deer hunting that if nobody's, you know, got to experience it, it's, it's pretty incredible. I'm sure everybody's a fan of seek one and watch Lee, um, kind of blow up on social media, but, um, it's not to that degree, but it's, it's pretty close to it. So do a little bit of that, do your traditional, you know, first day of rifle season, family, you know, tradition kind of stuff. Um, late season muzzleloader up north, and then we're fortunate down here in Allegheny County that we can shoot does a couple of weeks later in late season. So that's usually when we stack the freezers and get a bunch of meat for landowners processed up and get them some jerky and some steaks and whatever else we make and get that distributed out. So we stay busy throughout the year, and then, you know, once uh, once spring hits, it's chasing, chasing turkeys all across the country. Um I think this upcoming year we got seven or eight states planned, starting in March in Florida and ending in uh, June in Michigan. So nice, yeah, man. That's never know where we're gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I feel that, man. Um, you know, I like to live vicariously through you guys nowadays with with the with the kids and stuff. And but I do remember the times where, uh, you know, f- four states trying to get five states in for the whitetail season, and um, I think them days are are a little bit behind me. I mean, they're, sure they'll come back, but for right now. I don't I don't have the time for that travel and I'm I'm super excited to see how that goes for you guys and that's that's incredible that you guys are able to try to catch it all on video now and I know I know how hard it's like a, such a double edged sword and it's like a love hate relationship with the video because it's <laughs> it's so hard. It is, but my God is it fun to go back and watch. we've rewatched our spring spring season I can't tell you how many times. Like we only have probably three or four episodes put together, but we got about ten, eleven, twelve you know, on the hook for next spring that we're going to drop in March, April, but just those clips that we have and stuff we've rewatched. I can't tell you how many times and laughed at the stuff we say. And, you know, Mike's got us doing this and that, you know, to try to stay professional. And here we are swearing <laughs> like sailors. <laughs> we just, we can't get that part down, but yeah. um, it, it, it's a blast, man. It's a new challenge and it, I'm hoping it opens, you know, doors to meet, you know, new people like yourself and other folks across, you know, not only Pennsylvania, but the United States yeah. and, you know, just kind of build a network and experience new things. I think that's the coolest thing about the outdoor industry. I talk about it with Mike all the time, like the doors that you can open for yourself and others, like just as a prime example on a small scale, Mike lives, you know, where you guys or where you live yeah. and out towards central of the state obviously i'm from up closer to lake erie just in two weeks we both did something that we've never done in pennsylvania he come up to lake erie on one of the great lakes and caught a limit of walleye i went down to his area and hunted um timber rattlesnakes and got to experience that so kind of something that if you don't know somebody it's hard to do and it's hard to succeed at so um i guess networking in the outdoor industry is kind of the coolest thing about this whole ordeal now that's the biggest reason why i'm in this game and I have been invited to tag along with people to do certain things that that's, you know, great. You know, you don't, nobody owes me nothing to be on this show or uh, be part of my conversation. Cause that's, you know, that's first and foremost, but everything that comes with the networking man is, is great. And I always tell people, especially guys that are younger than me uh, that might be seeking any type of advice or anything like that. And I'm, I'm really not even the oldest guy, but I have seen a little bit of things and I just tell them, you know, you, I feel like your network is your net worth whether that be, you know, monetization, the, the money you're bringing in, or just the people around you, the people that you know is, is bringing you some form of wealth and, and happiness. So 
this is this is the the outdoor industry man <clears throat> for me i have found is very it's a very it's smaller than you think um a lot of people know each other uh, the same people that know each other seem to, to stick together and that's fine uh but it's it's great to meet all the new people and be able to experience different things like you said some stuff you need to know some i don't say you need to know somebody but it makes it a hell of a lot easier to get into something if you know somebody um yeah and it always pays to know people or to know people and it always pays to be nice to people yeah, i yes i have paid it forward all my life and it's done nothing but pay me back so um yep. yes being being a good person pays off whether whether people hear it or not people say nice guys i'll finish last well least they're happy i don't know i don't know what to tell you I'm, I'm a happy person and and i don't feel like i'm finishing last so um let's let's get down to talking some waterfowl man i want to start with you know what what does that look like right you call me hey man we're gonna go waterfowl hunting in the morning what what do i need to do what do i need to, how am i gonna prepare myself what time am i waking up what kind of gun am i taking you know where are we heading what's the you know what's the i don't say what's the location but what's the setup look like you know what's take take me hunting for a day in, in, in words here yeah so with waterfowl hunting it's kind of a general term i mean you got everything from september goose to um duck season to late season duck to late goose to snow goose hunting i mean there's there's all kinds of versions but just to kind of walk you through kind of like our year our year starts in september um september 1st is the early conservation goose season in pennsylvania and new york we do a lot of hunting in New York. Uh, a couple of our buddies that we hunt with live up there. So we're fortunate to hunt that area. And in PA, the limits are eight per person um, with three shells in your gun. And in New York, you're actually allowed 15 a person with tube extensions up to seven shells. Okay. So there's nothing quite like having 10 guys in a field with tubes loaded up and flock of 50 geese land on your face. It's hard to explain to people, but... Um, quite a few birds die and quite a few shells get shot, but, um, yeah, so we start in September. Usually it's more scouting than hunting. I mean, waterfowl hunting's, you know, time spent in the truck is success in the field. So we're lucky we have a group of, you know, about 10 to 12 guys strong that dedicate their entire, you know, pretty much lifestyle to making sure we have successful hunts. Everybody puts in their own work in their own area to drive around and get permission before the season and then get permission during the season. And, you know, we're hunting ag fields um, in September, so typically cut oats, chopped corn, cut hay fields, maybe some loaf ponds. Um, when I say loaf ponds, it's kind of like the ponds you'll see birds staging on after a morning feed mm -hmm. all throughout the day until the evening. So it's kind of like a, a mid-morning deal, late-morning deal rather than right off the bat. So those hunts you can get up a little later, but most of the time we're in a, in a cut ag field. Somebody's seen them the day before, a couple days before, got permission. We go out, we're setting up, whether we run panel blinds, which are kind of like stand-up blinds that you brush in like a hedgerow, or layout blinds, which you're kind of laying real flat, you're stubbling in with whatever stubbles in the field, whether that's cutouts or hay, you know, corn, etc. Um, we run a kind of a broad variety of decoys. We run a lot of full bodies. We run um, some silhouettes. We run some shells, you know, the whole shebang. Um, after September, we go into our early duck season, you know, we're shooting a lot of woodies, mallards, um, then our gaddies our widgeon and stuff show up. And then as the weather gets colder, we continue to get more and more ducks. We do layout hunting up on the great lakes. Um, we've gone layout hunting in multiple different areas up in New York, down the Chesapeake, stuff like that. 
Um, for people not familiar with it, you're pretty much in a UFO shaped boat laying in the middle of a lake with uh, decoys spread around you and you wear all gray and you're hunting diver ducks. So diver ducks are ducks that obviously self-explained dive uh-huh. for their food rather than a dabbler puddler duck that dabbles for its food where you see like a mallard with its legs poking up, stuff like that. So um, that's kind of more t- intense because those are pretty hardy birds and usually the worse the weather, the better the hunting is. So when the winter storm warnings coming across Lake Erie and everybody's running to hide, you know, we're loading the boat up and heading to heading to the lake to, to go kill the birds <laughs> pushing in with the front. So um, following that, we goose hunt throughout, you know, the whole year from October on. And then uh, duck season goes out in January, goose season's still in. And then we have a February goose season where we're allowed five apiece. Um, and we, pretty much kill geese all the way through that's when we have our most geese because most of canada's in upper new york and stuff is all froze um usually the great lakes is starting to freeze up and we're kind of like a staging point birds get across lake erie they dump down they're hanging out and we have um i think we have quite a bit of birds compared to maybe some other parts of the state but that's pretty much how it goes most of the time we got guys go up to the finger lakes up in new york they do some snow hunting from march and april um and after that we're all all turkeys turkey turkey driven for the rest of the year i feel that man now whenever you guys you know you you have a good successful kill like what's what's it look like preparing them birds like what you know i i know you said you guys can feed some other people and stuff like that but what what does it look like when you're preparing them birds like you know you defeather them do you make them into jerky what do you do with them yeah so our geese we um we breast them all out and what we do is once we get X amount of pounds, we'll just have a big jerky day. Um, we are a couple kids in our group that make literally make goose jerky taste better than deer jerky. And I've had really good, really good goose jerky. That's why I ask. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. And when people try it, you know, we'll take it to work. We'll take it places, and people will say that's the best deer jerky I've ever had. And then we drop it on them. That's a big greasy goose, mm-hmm. and they can't believe it. But if you put enough effort and work into anything, you can make it taste yeah. good. But He's got the marinade recipe to a T and pretty much what we do is we just drop all our, you know, breasted out meat to him and he makes us just dozens and dozens of bags of jerky and, you know, what's better at 6 a.m. in the morning when you're in a cornfield in a snowstorm than a piece of goose jerky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with our ducks, we like to uh, we like to cook them almost like a steak. Duck is, I'm sure you know, a delicacy in most most countries mm-hmm. and... Um, we like to pluck the feathers off, leave the fat on, breast around that fat, kind of saute that fat in a cast iron, cook it like a steak. Um, you can marinate them, smoke them whole, thin slice them from there. there. There's a million different ways you can cook duck. Duck's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I, I have had duck some, a couple different ways prepared, and, yeah, I've, I've never been, uh, you know, this dissatisfied or disappointed with the taste that i that i've been presented from it and um how so when you guys kill all your ducks you know you guys are usually pretty successful doing that you do those seasons overlap or anything where you're able to shoot you know some geese at the same time or like is there other birds you know yeah okay yeah so our seasons overlap once i think goose season comes back in late october our duck runs from pretty much the first weekend of October all the way through till rifle season. Then it goes out for a couple of weeks and it comes back in after until I want to say it comes in, comes back in around Christmas and then it goes out like the second week of January um, anymore. 
So goose season pretty much, it, there's some odd splits in and out of there, but where we live, we live around a couple different zones. We live right beside Ohio, right beside New York. So we got opportunities, literally, like I said, from September 1st to fe- end of February. Um, but where we live, like most people think like you lay in a field, you kill everything. Um, you can do that in a lot of parts of this, of this state, but kind of where we live, we have so many, so many swamps and lakes and areas ducks can get food all day that they, they don't always have to go to a cornfield at night or cornfield in the morning. Um, so a lot of the times we're just shooting geese in fields and then ducks over water, but both have happened in multiple different occasions. We shoot both over water. We shoot both over, um, fields, but for the most part, um, typically we're just one or the other. And then there are a lot of days where the weather's right. It's super nasty and pushing birds, the fields. And, you know, it's, we like to say it gets a little bit Western out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. So you're saying, you know, we don't really want uh, a bluebird kind of day, right? You, we want that, that, shitty ass weather that uh nobody really wants to be in but we're out there whacking them because they're it's keeping them down yeah yeah the worse the weather the better it is um geese feed real weird after september the geese will always feed first thing in the morning last thing in the evening in september and then it seems like once that fall weather hits them um they get a little goofy and if it's like sunny and bright and let's say cold in the morning, they're, they're not getting up. They're, they're just going to sit and then they'll feed late in the evening. But if it's sunny and it's, if it's sunny and calm, say middle of November, and then all of a sudden a, a weird rain shower pops up around noon, as soon as them birds get wet, they're getting up and going to a field. So we are constantly 24-7 communicating with each other, calling, texting, group chats, um, looking at weather, sending weather reports. You know, it, it's... It's literally a, a working system that we have with so many guys that are just so dedicated to the game, and that's what makes it fun. I mean, not many sports in the outdoor industry can you hang out with 10 of your best friends throughout a day, you know? Yeah. Even if it's cold, miserable, raining, snowing, windy, you know, shittiest conditions, you're still just sitting out there laughing and having a blast. And you guys are able to be bullshitting while you're there, you know? Like, it's not like... Oh, yeah. It's you, not like you're... It's full conversations, right. joking, wrestling, tackling, mm-hmm. watching... Do you want to watch TikTok or Snapchats? It's, it's whatever. But it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of money. Um, it's not a cheap date. I wish it was, just for shotgun shells. I mean, some of our guys, you know, we're shooting six to ten cases of shells a year, and if you add those up per per case, that that adds up quick, and that doesn't even get close to covering the cost of gas or what it costs to scout an evening or scout a week and. You know, some days you drive four or five days in a row before you find a field worth hunting. It's just, it matters how many birds we have, what the weather's been like. You know, you got other people, you got pressure. So there's a lot of determining factors to a successful hunt in in, uh, in waterfowl, especially in our region where there's not a lot of big lease fields like the Midwest. And we're not getting tens of thousands of birds a push. We're getting maybe two, three hundred a push. And it it's just totally different than a lot of the parts of the United States. So... You know, are you guys using decoys whenever you're out there? And then, like, what's what's the retrieval look like? You guys using a dog, or what's you know, or do you guys have some some guy that you call dog? Hey, dog, go get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we don't use dogs. Um, we don't knock dogs. It's just none of us have the time to properly train a dog. And if there's nothing worse in a goose hunt or a duck hunt than a than a like a broken dog, and when those situations occur, it's just so tough. You know, everybody put so much time, effort, money into this hunt, 
most of the time, and then somebody's dog's just running circles around the field and not listening, and we just haven't had <clears throat> had the opportunity. Now, when we went to Saskatchewan a couple years ago, um, our buddies met us out there from Utah. They had two very well-trained dogs, and they saved our ass on a lot of five, six, seven, eight hundred-yard retrieves where we sailed a snow goose out of a flock of like a hundred and somebody was going to have to go dog it down at the end. But instead we just, you know, their names were Gus and Sadie. One of them just unleashed and there they went and picked it up. So that made me appreciate dogs. We just, we don't have the people that have the time to properly train and commit to a dog. And it's not fair to you or the dog or the people you're hunting with. If you don't do it, you know, as a hundred percent commitment. Yeah. Yeah, man. I can attest to that 100%. Um, I, I had a couple different hunting dogs through the years and um yeah it's it got to the point for me at least where it wasn't fair to the dog because i wanted to archery hunt so much and the rabbit season is which is now longer which is a little better but then it was you know same saturday come in same time that rabbit come in and the only time that she really got to hunt a lot or enough that I felt like was the second season because unfortunately here in Pennsylvania, God forbid that we were allowed to, to carry a weapon in the woods on a Sunday because, you know, <laughs> some old lady will faint or, you know, that's the day. That's the day of rest. Well, that's how I rest, right? But I don't want to go down that road. That's, you know, that's that's for me to believe. Um, but, yeah, it's – it, it, I understand 100%. I think you, you make a great point. And um, I, I have seen really good dogs, though. You know, if I know if I was in that game and I wanted a dog, I, I can train dogs, but I probably wouldn't train my own dog. I'd probably pay, you know, that big, big change. And I know that those dogs are very expensive, but I would probably pay that big change and, and have that probably four, four or $5,000 dog. And some, some people call me crazy, but, you know, that's – to me that's priceless that's just that's what you get with with an animal of that caliber but i I completely agree one day we'll cross that bridge and get to the point when like we always say like i'm sure you totally understand when i say this when things slow down you know what i mean you start um you know having kids you know less time in the field more appreciation for the time you do have i'm sure that'll be a time maybe spend with a dog and you know we do a lot of big group hunts just because the way waterfowl works is the best way to keep hunting throughout a year is to work as a group because there's days where, you know, X amount of people can scout where other, you know, folks in the group can't scout or somebody's out of town for this week and, you know, we need this person. So that's kind of how we operate. But as you get older, less time for stuff like that. I'm sure there'll be a point where, you know, maybe me and just one other person or just myself and maybe a dog, you know, like to say slow things down taking the little things just appreciate whatever time you do get out out in the field yeah yep and i i I agree with that and like you said as you do get older and as you you know are having kids and you're just you're just it's not that you don't get as much time you just get more present with your time you know there's not as much messing around as you will you know if you if you will and you're just more focused and more present in each moment but um so, you know, when you guys are out scouting, like, what what are some of the things you look for? Are you looking, like, is there, like, flight patterns? You know, is there, like, a yearly thing where you know maybe, like, right around this time, this might be a really good area to go check out, like, through historic flight patterns? Do they change a lot? Um, you know, I don't really know much about that. I know, like, when we're doing a lot of crow hunting, like, we have certain spots that are good every year, and it's just their flight patterns. Like, they just, they move through there. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with water levels. Um what food is planted in fields when farmers are cutting fields and the way we get birds is through fronts and moon phases. So, you know, the September full moon is always our best migration. It usually comes the last week. 
um, when that moon is at its fullest at night and you get the slightest breeze from the north, I mean, it pushes in an immaculate amount of birds. You can go outside at night, late September, and just hear them pushing through. Um, most people don't believe you that birds migrate through through the night, but they set their wings and go. Um, so, yeah, we kind of all keep logs. Like I said a couple of times, we all have our own areas. So we've been hunting them for so long that we understand what area usually holds birds at what dates and you know, we kind of go through, mark what's planted in those fields each year, um, kind of realize like the timeline of when these farmers usually cut. Obviously, it all depends on how dry it was, you know, stuff like that. There's September's where corn's being cut first week of September, and there's um, September's where corn isn't cut in our area until, um, or chopped, I should say, until the end of September. Mm -hmm. So that plays a huge factor because obviously birds are going to choose corn over, you know, hay because they've been eating hay for how many months after they molt in the summer. So... You know, that always determines a factor. And then with ducks and stuff, it's usually weather and, and cold fronts and, and north winds. So we get a lot of our birds from, obviously, Canada and upper New York. And um, I think we've shot a couple bands from upper, like New Brunswick, Quebec, um, plenty from James Bay area in Ontario. I think we've got one from Manitoba, a um, couple from Michigan. So we get birds from everywhere, but... A lot of the times our birds are here a day and then they're gone. Um, they'll stop in for, you know, come in through the night, stop for a morning, head on down to Virginia, North Carolina, Chesapeake, wherever they end up, you know, at the end of their migration. Um, I know a lot of our wood ducks from our area end up dying in um, North Carolina and Virginia just because, you know, now with social media, you can get on Facebook pages that have band groups that will show you, like, people will say, oh, I shot this banded wood duck from this town in Pennsylvania. And it's kind of cool to see that because that guy's living in Virginia and that duck was just, you know, flying around you a week ago. Yep. So that's the coolest part I think about waterfowl is you never know what you're going to shoot. One year we had a banded pintail, which I know you're not a duck guy, but anybody that is a waterfowl guy would understand that, you know, kind of a northeast pintail is a big deal, especially a bull sprig like we had. And these guys end up... Um, you know, whatever. They did what they had to do. They, they shot it pretty far when it was working our spread winged it end up killing it and it was banded in 2014 in minnesota which i mean that was a i think what seven year old banded bird that who knows how many flights it's taken down the united states flew all the way from minnesota to die in pennsylvania and it could have been ours but um just kind of one of the situations where it's it's so cool that you never know where these birds are coming from and you never know where they're going i'm sure you've seen enough studies on facebook of track birds to see like there's birds. I, I think last year a bird set its wings in Saskatchewan. It was a hen pintail. Set its wings in Saskatchewan going 40 mile an hour on a northwest wind that night and ended in the morning at a reservation in um, Tennessee. Wow. So just like that. And the only reason they know that is because it had a backpack transmitter collar on or a backpack uh, tracker on it so they could see its movement throughout the night. And if you didn't do that, you'd never believe a duck could fly that far overnight. So Yeah, man. That's, that is impressive. And uh, they they can definitely fly very far. I have seen a couple of different studies, and I was uh, I was scouting. Um, there's a there's a pretty decent sized lake not far from where I live here, and I was scouting for deer in that area. And I came across. I mean, I don't know what the chances are of this. Maybe they are high. I thought that they weren't very high, but I found two bands on the ground that day. And um, I got online and I, you know, put in all the information or whatever. And one of them, yeah, one of them came from Canada, was a, was a Canadian bird. And the other one was 
not real far from there it had come from. Um, but that was cool. I, I appreciated it. That was the first time I've ever messed with bands or seen any of that stuff. And yeah, it was cool. I really appreciated that. So like how often, you know, do you guys get a, a banded bird? Like, is that, is it super rare or is it like, just like, Oh yeah, it's got a band on it or what's, you know, what's that look like? It every year varies. It just matters what your local, um, game commission with the biologist band, like, some years they'll ban three towns within 10 miles of each other. So shooting goose bands is pretty common. Mm-hmm. Some years they don't ban anything around you and you're just getting leftovers from years past as well as migrants from, like I've stated, Canada, um, different parts on, you know, Ontario, Canada, Quebec, stuff like that, New York, Michigan, whatever. Um, and then with the ducks, um, duck bands for us are kind of plentiful. They ban the most of them in the state, kind of pretty close to us as well as we get a lot from Canada, uh, which is pretty cool. So um, I know multiple different hunts. We've shot local birds with migrants from way upper Canada, um, you know, out of the same flock, literally two years or a couple years ago, we were hunting geese and we killed 10 out of a flock, two were banded. One was from Moosonee, Ontario, which is way up right at the tip of James Bay, um, north of us. And the other one was from two miles down the road. So it just every year depends um some years are band heavy some years you can't come across one for the life of you but there's a lot of people that get caught up in it anymore and um they swear that they don't hunt because of them but i'm i'm fully concerned or fully in belief that if you took bands out of the occasion half the people at water hunt waterfowl hunt would quit which is absolutely disturbing and for all the wrong reasons but um it's a nice little reward for, for all the hard work and dedication that goes into the sport. And it's all for research. I mean, without bands, we'd never understand how these flyways are and how these birds migrate and how many times they migrate and how long their lifespan is and what's killing them. And it's, it's crazy. It's, it, it's the part of waterfowl that brings you back. Cause you just never know what's going to fly in that day. Yeah. Do they, um, do they have a, I guess uh, the life cycle of some of the birds, whether it be the duck or the geese, is it like, does it fluctuate, uh, like for population wise, does it like, do they see any disease and shit and then, you know, kind of peak and then come back down where you guys will have like a, a year that's not the best and then it go back up or how does that work? I mean, <clears throat> it's hard. People say Canadian geese could probably take over the world one day cause they're everywhere and there's so many of them. Um, the only thing we've really battled is that avian flu. We had a very few cases in our area the last uh, couple of years. There was a couple cases in both counties near us um, where birds unexpectedly died. And it hit really bad out, out west in the Dakotas, into Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and stuff like that um, with the snow geese and different ducks. But we haven't really faced anything. The biggest thing that we face is habitat destruction and droughts. Um, birds obviously need water. And they need protection when they breed um, in nests. So those hens are, you know, sitting on nests. I, I would have to really look to see how many days they're stuck on a nest. But, um, you know, you get a hen mallard sitting on a nest with eight eggs in a little brush pile in a marsh. It's susceptible to multiple different predators, you know, not only ground predators, but air predators and stuff like that. So that's the biggest challenge we face as waterfowl hunters is habitat destruction, um, whether that's losing marshes due to droughts whether that's losing it due to destruction um of building different communities stuff like that but um our numbers have actually sustained for our mallards that through the research of biologists we're actually getting four mallards back for a limit instead of two that we've had for the last couple years 
reading into that study, um, they believe that we were killing mainly American mallards in our Atlantic flyway. You know, when birds begin to migrate, we thought we were killing birds from upper Maine, Vermont, New York, stuff like that. Come to find out, shocker to the world, but we're shooting birds from Canada, and we're not only killing our American population, but our Canadian population. So um, they gave us our four mallards back, which is kind of crazy considering Canada kept their, I, th- I believe they're allowed seven of any species up there. I could be wrong, it could be six, but either way, they didn't have a, sh- a shorter or a smaller mallard limit like we got. But come to find out through research and study that we actually do kill birds from Canada when we could have told them that for years, considering all the different bands we've shot from different parts of, of Canada throughout the years. So now, is, so is that something you don't really agree with? You think that Canada should be able to, you know, should should bring their limits down or? I don't know. It's just, it's totally different. So many birds that we get live and breed in Canada. Um, That's where they live. They live up in the boreal forest. They live up um, James Bay, all over James Bay, Hudson Bay. And it's, it's so hard to say because they, I don't want to say they own the birds, but they're the ones creating a lot of the birds that we kill um, in a season. So I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen everybody go to bat at it for different ways. I personally love going up to Canada and get the getting the liberal limits. Um, we go to Saskatchewan this year. We're allowed eight of all species except pintails. We're allowed four, so we have a we have a good blast with that. But I don't know. You can take it how you want it. I, I have a blast no matter what the limit is. I'm not going to stop. Um, when it got not when it got knocked down to two, we just started taking more people so we could hunt longer. Um, and then we lost our bluebill one year, so we haven't really diver duck hunted as much because our staple of divers in Pennsylvania is the bluebill. And um, it's hard to load up the layout rig and, you know, go through all the um, hoops and stuff to layout hunt just to shoot, you know, pull the trigger once. But now I don't know. You, you can take it how you want it. Do you, um, do you guys run into any other, like, do you see a lot of other species of birds when you guys are calling like when you were calling a lot does that attract any other wildlife does that attract any other birds like maybe blue jays or like crows ravens hawks i don't know um and then also do you guys have a lot of like do you see a lot of blue herrings i know it might sound like a weird question but i'm just wondering (laughs) um the only thing that we really see when we're hunting is is eagles because when we have cripples we sail birds, you know, we kill birds. We haven't picked them up yet. They'll swoop in for an easy meal. Um, one time I shot a banded mallard and it was laying on the ice. I could see it was banded and this eagle kept swooping in. And I told, I told my buddies, I said, I better go get that thing before, uh, that eagle gets himself in trouble. Yeah. But obviously total joke. Right, right. I feel that, you. Would, that would be my luck shooting a banded, <laughs> you know, a banded mallard watching them out I there know. and an eagle carries them across the lake. But, yeah. um, blue herons as far as it goes i don't know i see them all the time one of the areas i used to work in was a breeding area for blue herons and when we were doing construction on the building we weren't allowed to tear out a specific five acres because there were so many blue herons nesting in this area and when i say like so many i'm talking hundreds of blue herons in these trees but um as far as waterfowl hunting we don't really see them you know too much or pay attention to them but we do we have gotten a increase in the um sandhill crane population in pennsylvania okay um we see those things everywhere and we don't have a huntable population around here but they are super cool to see they look like a big pterodactyl flying through the sky and <laughs> they're pretty loud and annoying so 
You know, I, I mean, the I, biggest reason I asked that question is because, um, you know, even in my area, I will tell you, now I'm a trout guy, so I'm not a fan of those birds. And uh, I, I, you know, there's no season on them, but I'm like, I'm like, okay, like, well, are we going to do something here? Because, you know, there are other states that, you know, especially the cranes, you know, you, Florida's one of them. I think Michigan's one of them um, where there's, there's seasons on them and, and they shoot, they shoot and kill them and they, they say they taste great. Well, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to take a crack couple of them, but um, yeah, like you said, you, you were in an area where they were just overpopulated really for the most part, but they're protected and there's nothing you can do about it. But yeah, they're killers too. I mean, oh. they, they eat anything from baby bunnies, the ducklings, the frogs, the fish. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they do this like anything else. They're just out there to survive. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I don't, I don't, I don't hold it against them or nothing. It's just, you know, I, I feel and think, at least in my area and you know as you're talking it's the same way up there that uh you know maybe it's something we can we can look at and and put a season on them but um yeah i i i could see how you guys would see eagles i'm surprised you don't see a lot of hawks we we have an infestation of hawks in my area oh we see so many hawks but not usually with waterfowl more i mean we see them turkey hunting a lot and they just kind of they irk me the birds of prey are so I, I, in my opinion, are so overpopulated and so underregulated that they're killers. I mean, that's what they do for a living, and I understand they balance ecosystems and everything. Yeah, right. We're, we're, I feel like a little, little more study needs to go into how destructive these predators, really, the birds of prey, really are. That's funny, man. I, you, you're, you know, you're right in the loop with with most people I talk to, and obviously a turkey hunter is going to tell you, you know, screw them hawks, but. Um, same with the rabbit hunter. <laughs> and rabbit hunter's gonna tell you the same thing. Yep. And it's it's funny though because I, I I think that I wouldn't side with that because I know how they do balance the ecosystem. But I s- just see so many red tail hawks. It's like insane. You know, they're just they're everywhere. And and, and yeah, and our Pennsylvania eagle bounce back. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much just a glorified hawk and all. In it's all a giant honesty. hawk is what it is. Yeah. 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 And then you got your small falcons and. Don't even get me started on how many owls we have in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, there are a lot of owls. I and, and I've had them scare the shit out of me in a tree stand plenty of times. Yeah. Cool, really cool animal. But yeah, I mean, you want to talk about a killer, man? I I watched an owl one time. Um, I was a there was a family of coons that come down out of the trees where I was hunting, and the owl flew in beside me and landed on the limb not far from me. And I could see him, and it was in like that twilight, you know. And he yep. swooped down, and I I don't think he got that one but boy mom wasn't happy and they started making all types of noises and he you know he swooped down to grab a baby raccoon for sure um yeah i'd like to see some some studies done on them but i'm sure we'll never see it but i'd like to see just how much they do kill in you know a set period of time and what they're killing and what they're doing to adapt because i know in our area we don't have as many rabbits as we used to due to multiple different reasons but i'm sure there's no shortage of squirrels and mice and stuff but it is interesting. I'd like to know how many, as a turkey hunter, how many poults they take off a year. <laughs> what do you think, you know, for a waterfowl hunter, as far as the birds that you guys are hunting, what do you think that the biggest uh, predator that those birds face face is? Uh, definitely weather. But outside of weather, um, I don't know, honestly. Um, you know, you see videos of, of cats killing them. You see videos of eagles killing them and hawks. But if you think about it, like most of the time it's one eagle killing one duck out of a flock of a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I understand sometimes there's a rare case that muskies will get one or snapping turtles will get one. Um, man, they don't really have a, a lot of predators besides habitat destruction. And a lot of it is the destruction of nests. So whenever they're nesting, you know, you have your, you have your coons, your possums, your, fo- your typical nest predators. Mm-hmm. Um, also there's been videos of coots going in destroying nests. Um, it's really the it's the nest and the chick predators. So anything we eat a chick, I'm sure you've seen videos like pages like Nature's Metal where you see a seagull just engulf a couple ducklings mm-hmm. like nothing. Yeah. Um, pike eating the gut ducklings. Um, so really the your typical ground predators and air predators at at a, at a young age and at an egg stage. But as an adult, like an adult mallard, doesn't it doesn't really have a ton of predators because it can live so remote and so far away from people. And then they can also live the contrary where they live in their, you know, the local park where they're eating bread and, <laughs> and nothing's can mess with them. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, really, really cool creature, like you said. I, I think, you know, I think that I'm more drawn to the ducks, to be honest, than I am um, to the bigger birds. But and, and it's because of that reason, you know, the way that the, the ducks are able to just be in a uh, uh, like a clear cut that has a big, you know, puddle. Because I, I, I mean, the area we hunt in Ohio, there's it's pretty flat, and you can hear the the ducks in a clear cut, and it's because there's just there's water in there, and they're just they're hanging out in there. But at the same time, they don't always put themselves in positions where they can't fly, kind of like where where a turkey would be um, in a clear cut and can't really get that running start and get up in the air quick enough to where a coyote or something might be able to grab a hold of it. You know, I think that the ducks are pretty pretty elusive. Yeah, man, their life is it's constant chaos. It's just find one place to, to the next just to feed and survive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I uh, that's you know that's pretty much all I got for you on on that. Actually, you know what? How about um, do you guys have any uh, like traditions or anything that you do? Like if you kill them or like before, like is there like certain breakfast or anything you guys normally do, or is it just you know different every time you go? Yeah, so we have a tradition every year. Um, <laughs> we're just just what we do. Um, that August thirty first night, no matter what field we have, no matter where it's at, um, whether we have the only permission or we have permission with five other groups, we're sleeping in the field. Um, that's just what we do. We've done it. It's just kind of like the kickoff to the season. Like, hey boys, it's back. Um, and then the only other really tradition we do is like when we shoot a band, um, we do a band flip. So what that entails is anybody that shot at the bird um is in a in the in the coin flip we have one quarter and on three you somebody says one two and on three everybody puts out either a one or a two a one means heads a two means tails and then you split the group up based on what called what somebody flips the quarter it lands whatever it lands on those people move on to the next round Mm -hmm. and then you do it again until it's down to two people where then somebody calls it and the winner gets the band. Um, that's kind of how we do it. I know people do it a million different ways. Promise you there's no easier, or more fair way than the way we do it. Yeah, I like that. We've tried everything, drawing shells, whatever everybody tries to do. But um, that's the easiest way. And then, you know, usually if we shoot multiple bands out of a spot, somebody gets, you know, whoever got the permission usually has the option if they want to take one or – most of us are just so selfless that we'll just say, hey, we'll just flip for them. Like, we all work hard for this all year. It'll all come back around. Just put it in, make it fair, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, man, I, I like that. That's cool. And that's it's always fun to hear what different groups of, 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 of people are doing for, for different things or another, like, um, you know, different deer camp stuff, different bear camp stuff, you know. And it sounds like, I mean, you guys don't have a camp, but that to me that sounds like duck camp, you know. I mean, you're sleeping out in the field, and that's pretty cool, something, something different. Yeah, it's fun, man. It's as stupid as it sounds to most people. It's it's cool because that time of year it's warm. You know, you're in shorts and a hoodie at night, and then once it gets daylight, shorts and a t-shirt. Like you don't, we don't wear camo. I wear black shorts and whatever color t-shirt I have on that day because we're in panels or layout blinds. We're hunting Crocs or extra tufts, and you know, it's it's different. Like most of us look like we just came from the gym when we're goose hunting in September. We got sunglasses on. And then, you know, you look at us in February and we're bundled up in, you know, bibs and mm-hmm. Under Armour and Sitka head to toe and all all the good shit. Right. Yeah, that's – oh, boy, I know. I Like you were saying, I know the biggest thing with that game is it's kind of like similar to, to golf, if you will, or something where it's – it'll cost you some money to go duck hunting or, or go goose hunting with your buddies. And like you said, I, I know where that money goes, a couple different things, especially – in shitty weather, you know, you'd like to have some waterproof stuff so that you're not soaking wet and cold. And um, or if you're retrieving your ducks and you're in swamps and shit, you know, you, you, it kind of pays to have a little bit better, better gear for that stuff. But yeah, we're we're a, we're a group that goes off the motto: buy it once, buy it right, buy it once. You know, yeah. rather than put a bunch of money into stuff that might work for a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't wear Sitka because it's a cool thing to wear. We wear it because of the Gore-Tex and we like being dry and warm. I mean, it's just what works and we don't care what anybody wears or what anybody says it's you, you know, wear what you want and want to wear and support and we'll do the same. Yeah. I feel that, man. Um, so let's, let's jump into like what you're, you know, what you're doing now. Are you, are you getting ready for that season? Is there a process to getting ready for that season? Uh, you know, would it be like getting some decoys ready or anything like that? Or are you getting ready for maybe shooting your bow and, and maybe getting ready for, for some deer hunting? Yeah, so our biggest thing is just going around, you know, getting our permission again from all our landowners. There's hundreds and hundreds of farms that we talk to in a year. So we try to get our core ones, our big farmers, just keep them happy, drop them off, you know, different snacks and treats and gift cards and, you know, whatever to keep that permission there. Because without them, we don't have a sport. Um, We don't own enough fields and plant enough fields and farm enough fields to hunt all year. So Mm -hmm. we keep them happy. And, you know, we'll get some decoys out, wash them off, get them relabeled with everybody's name, um, clean blinds out. My layout blind probably looks like um, 20 McDonald's wrappers and country fair sandwiches <laughs> and Red Bull cans and Mountain Dew bottles and empty shell boxes. So yeah. we'll get those cleaned out. And then, um, yeah, we're, we've been shooting our bows. We, uh, our buddy just built a brand new um, 3D course. So nice. we've been testing it out for him, just kind of shooting it before he gets his insurance and everything loaded up that way you know when it goes to the public it's all ready to go so we've been lucky enough to been able to shoot that a couple times and we just got our stuff all our bows all tuned up and kind of launching arrows whenever we have free time where mike got us into the food plot bug so i've put more time into these damn food plots than i have <laughs> probably deer hunting the last two years but yeah he swears it'll pay off come deer season, so we'll see. I'm sure it will. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Yeah, Mike knows his shit on that end. And I, we own a good bit of acreage um, where I live, and we, we have a couple food plots, but him and I were just talking the other day about, I said, hey, you know, if you're bored and you want to take a walk, I'd be more than happy to have you have you walk around and say, hey, maybe, you know, you guys should be 
doing a plot right here or, or over here or you know doing some type of water source or something here um but yeah he he definitely he definitely knows his shit on on that stuff and it's it's fun to learn them things and it's it's really exciting to see how it pays off but my my biggest recommendation is you know you have to be patient with that stuff too oh yeah for sure and we put it in an area that me and um tanner you'll get to know tanner um lease and it's not necessarily the area with our biggest bucks but it's a, kind of the area with our most deer so we kind of figured hey use it as a place that you know family and friends want to go hunt and see deer hey this is the easiest place to do it or if we want to go whack a couple does um easy place to do it and just kind of simplify it for us and also learn it i mean it's it's an art like mike will never admit that he's a master at it he always says he's just done enough things wrong to know what's right but he is so well educated on it and has worked with the right people in the industry that it, it makes it fun for us because all we do is answer you know answer the phone hey uh mike what do we do here what do we do now <laughs> you know what's this ph got to be what do we, how many pounds of fertilizer how many pounds of lime when do we seed what do we have to do you know and mm-hmm. um He's just been an awesome tool for us, and we're so lucky to be not only teamed up with him, but you know, to know him for his knowledge. And I think a lot of people that do food plots try to say they know what they're doing and go out on a limb and do things, and then you know their seed doesn't grow and they don't know why. And I'm sure that would have been us if we'd have done it. I mean, a lot of people don't understand, you know, when different seeds need to be in and what the process does or process takes to get new land ready to you know grow seed. So. Yep. We kind of got the got the special treatment, but we got to grow seeds still. We haven't we haven't planted. We're planting planting brassicas here. Usually you plant plant that around the first of August, so a couple weeks out. But hopefully we have uh, some successful plots this year. Yeah, that people go to school for a good long time for that kind of knowledge, or you know they grow up on farms and near that stuff to to have that knowledge. And like you said, I mean, and really essentially that that is a trade. You're learning a trade and that's that's really good shit to know because it's it's not so much that it's a dying thing to know but it's it, when push comes to shove it's it's an asset to be able to know how to grow things and and know when to plant them and understand different soils and stuff like that and especially you know even out your way the soil is actually it's pretty good up up your way and you, you guys probably shouldn't have too hard of a time getting getting everything to grow uh, up that compared to like you know, Mike's growing stuff around here, which we don't have the best soil. Like we have some spots that have good soil, but um, for the most part, especially in my area, it's all old coal silt and coal seams, and um, it's not it's not the easiest or best stuff to grow in. But yeah, that it is an exciting new adventure to try try your hat on. And uh, have you guys ever done any hinge cutting? You ever you ever tried that? No, but the property that we built these food plots on, um, it was clear cut five six years ago and it was a property that needed it it had a lot of junk woods wide open woods that you know dominated the canopy and a lot of our young oaks and everything were getting suffocated and couldn't couldn't make it and we lease it so we had no rights to timber it but we just got lucky that the the owner decided to timber it and now that it's been five years it is a thick nasty jungle you guys are and we hold so many deer i mean ungodly amount of deer year round so you know we have ag fields connected to it but planting those transition plots between bedding into those ag fields is the perfect way to get a mature buck on its feet before you know before dark yeah for sure man that those um i think that they consider the three to seven year mark for a 
clear cut to be the prime time for the for the clear cut to be there to and be able to hold the, yeah hold the deer so yeah you guys are right in it man that's that's exciting and yeah they they will definitely hold deer um you know i remember when we select cut our property and they were in the middle of the property they they really hammered it hard uh we only took 16 and higher and our forester was not a deer fan you know now you have guys that come in and, and they'll They'll set you up for success for keeping a healthy deer herd and, and keeping uh, bucks around or, or deer around. But you also have guys that will come in and try to get you the best woods that they can get you. Whether you know They don't give a shit what the deer are eating. They want to give you the best woods they can give you. And uh, Our forester was you know 16 and higher, but they took 14 and higher in the one part. And that's kind of where um, they took. They, they really, I don't want to say they raped it, but they, they took a lot more. And it was so thick for so long. And I just remember how many deer were in there. And it was it was crazy. And that's when, you know, it came to me. And I never really understood the power of a clear cut. And I will even say before that, I would I thought as a young hunter, like, what the hell are you, you know, why are they doing that? You know, they're just taking wood out of there. But you don't understand or see what a clear cut can actually do for not just your deer, but, I mean, everything. You know, that's that's how everything can survive. Um, <clears throat> and it's really impressive to be able to know that, that, that different type of knowledge. And I, I highly recommend anybody listening that wants to look into that stuff, definitely goes down that road and checks, checks it out because that knowledge is really helps people's woodsmanship out. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it flipped that property upside down. I mean, it, it went from beautiful woods and stuff. You look good to the eye, but it didn't hold there. And now it, you, it looks like hell and you go over there and you're like, this is disgusting. But you know, as it starts getting, you know, dusk at night and deer start crawling out like rats, I mean, out of nowhere, I mean, you'll be surprised with the laying in a, in a clear cut like that. I mean, any, any little down brush they're in it and uh, God help me when I have to walk it in late season, it's uh it's brutal because they don't want to get up out of it. Yeah. It's literally such a good sanctuary for them. And we try not to push, you know, those areas many times, but, we have so many does and we got to manage them as best as we can. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're a topic you could probably talk about for freaking days that I just totally disagree with is the amount of doe tags that we get in, in our area in one B and, um, it's sickening at least three or four properties that I'd love to manage the does on. And I get one, one, one B tag to use a year hmm. and I could use it 12 times and still not put a dent in the, in the deer herd. Yeah. That's man. That is such a, you have guys that are on either spectrum of that. You know, they'll be on one side where they're, you know, there's way too many doe tags. Or they're trying to kill every deer in the state. Or you have the guys that are like, listen, hey, we need to be killing more deer here. And it's 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 always weird to, to hear both sides of that spectrum. But that will segue us right into a topic that we can touch on here is, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we do a lot of things right. And we may do a lot of things wrong or different to what you think we should be doing. So give me one thing that you think that we do really well uh, for for the hunting or fishing, and then give me uh, another thing that you think we do uh, maybe could l get looked at or maybe changed. Um, the do well part's really tough for me because as a traveling hunter, I'm sure you know this, there's so many states that are so far ahead of us in conservation and even just the way of getting a, a, a license. Like... Any state I go to anymore out of state, I just get on an app, buy it, and I get three doe tags, a buck tag, a turkey tag, and I don't have to go see anybody at Walmart. Mm -hmm. 
but um the one thing i like about pa is that we do we are very conservative about our turkey season um we start late what most people would call late um due to studies showing that most turkeys are breeding in the late april and they want us to start hunting them whenever most hens are bred that way we have a successful brood and whatnot um so i do like that we do that um as far as a lot of bads i mean sunday hunting obviously you can take it one way or the other i like it as a waterfowl hunter because waterfowl is a federal regulated um sport so our season dates are set or we set our season dates as a state but we're only given x amount of days by the by the federal commission to, to hunt birds so what that does is obviously we're a weather to determine sport we don't have birds if we don't have the weather so those Sundays kind of add us time throughout a year. So instead of getting seven days a week, we're getting six days a week, which add on at the end. So if it's not cold early, we get that cold in the, you know late January or early January, late in the season, where we can you know maybe capitalize on a couple of weeks there. So I do like that. Um, another thing I like about Pennsylvania is they did switch. I think the Saturday opening day of gun seasons a no brainer to me. I mean, tradition's one thing, but the whole world anymore is is a working class group of people i mean why would you set a day where everybody has to take off work when every other season of every other freaking um, species of animal in the state comes in on saturday um i like that change that's the topic you could probably talk about with people for hours and hours but i mean um, i'll be honest i don't i personally don't know too many people who don't like that I feel like the only people that don't like that are the people that want to just sit around and drink or do whatever at camp. Exactly, which they can still do. There's no exactly. excuse. It, right. If anything, you can do it for four days more, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, into Monday. I feel like it's the um, same guys that argue this against the Sunday hunting that don't want to go in the woods on Sunday because they want to watch their football or whatever, and they also don't want to feel bad that they're not in the woods hunting at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you could go – even some of these things i don't it's not that i really hate them it's just right. some things you probably change like i think we should have a continuous archery season like ohio does um i don't know why it goes out i don't, I don't know either. what you're saving i don't i don't what, understand whatever they want to do it's whatever yeah. um i personally don't like rifle season i wish we did like a center fire slug season muzzleloader season like all these other big buck states do um we'll never win that battle but oh, yeah. that's just something that it, it probably wouldn't make a big change but I think it's a change that it probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, I think the biggest thing is just the license purchasing. I think it is such a shit show compared to all these other states. And I've talked to a couple guys that are in the game commission and stuff, and a lot of it they say goes back to like the average age of a Pennsylvania hunter is, is pretty elderly, and they want to keep it the way that it is because the app, iPhone or phone app and stuff like that is kind of modern technology, and they don't want to change it for these you know traditionalists and in this and that but i mean holy hell I, I don't understand why we're still putting tags on animals when there's how many different states that are using e-tags and it's the same exact thing except it's less inconvenience but i mean if you hunt new york at all you know that they're still in the 1800s with you gotta have your license on your back and displayed that's still a fine up there so that's always fun when we go to new york we gotta put our back tags on <laughs> but yeah. um I don't know. It's just, it's so weird to me that I lease four properties in, you know, unit one B and I can only get one doe tag. Um, I understand there's a way to get D maps and this and that, but I'm not the landowner. So I would have to go to those landowners and have them, get them. go out of their way to pursue these D map tags. 
just for me to shoot does, which you're already lucky enough to be able to lease property off people these days. And mm -hmm. it's just so crazy to me because you drive around our block and we've seen upwards of 80 does in these fields and we're allowed to take two out because there's two of us on the lease. Like what is that healthy for these herds? I don't How are we supposed to see a rut? What rut are we going to see when these bucks are laying with 15 does and once those 15 are bred, they just go 30 yards down the woods and there's 10 more. You just know? a menage a trois going on in there. They ain't... Yeah, look at how many dead tags you give Allegheny County. Is that helping? Is that is that killing the deer herd? Yeah. Because I can tell you what, I guarantee you more more vehicles on McKnight Road in 79 are killing deer than, than people are with bows and arrows. I can promise you that. That's for sure. Especially just... I, just, just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I don't... You're spitting everything that sounds good. And the problem is, you know, our state is the, it's the way that they have everything split up, right? Like, we can't just say, you know, oh, you know, this is the way it is. Because I think, unfortunately, like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ohio and the way that they do things. So me and you are yeah, I agree. We are definitely on the same page. But I, I grew – I didn't grow – I don't say I grew up in Ohio, but I grew up hunting Ohio from, from the time that I was just a young boy. So – Yep, I shot my first buck over there, so I'm – I'm right there with right. you. <laughs> so I'm very familiar with that. That's why I'm such a big component for Sunday hunting because, you know, I'm able to go over there. I'm able to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come home, not really miss anything as far as work or anything like that. And um, their, their tagging process, I actually liked their tagging process before, uh, which was you shoot it, you kill it, you take it somewhere, they put a band on it. Because I feel like there's no, there's no messing around. There's no, you know... Uh, way that you, you 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 can't calculate that deer there's no your harvest report is what it, it has to be because without that tag on it it's it's not reported um now they did away with that because they they got their numbers they got exactly what they needed to know and they were so accurate with it that now moving forward they don't really need that system right now i think that pennsylvania would do itself a big justice if they did that and they would actually have great great numbers if they were doing uh you know kind of like they do with the bear you got to go check it in well that's the thing like most of these other states are getting accurate turkey harvest numbers because the way their harvest report is is it's just based off the license reporting so like when i go to virginia and i shoot a turkey i'm doing it all on an app and it's right. asking me you're the same questions pa harvest report asks you but if you ask 10 people, if they do a harvest report on every animal they kill in Pennsylvania, I bet you seven of them ask you what the hell a harvest report is. Right, yeah. And it's because it's not driven, it's not required. Um, it's it's strongly asked upon for folks, and I do all mine, and I think it's important for studies and for the progress of the state, but it's just insanity to me that you could blend it all into one to a system where, uh, I like to say people are like dogs. You get them trained, and, they're, and they don't complain anymore, and it's just done. Like. Right. As soon as you kill a deer, you get on the app, you tag it. When you tag it, you answer all the questions. It goes right to the state. The data's in, done. Yeah. And it's and people argue, oh, well, people just shoot deer and not do that. And that, Well, it's the same thing having a tag in its ear. If you get checked by a warden and you don't have anything filled out on it on your phone, it's the same as not having a tag in its ear. So you're, those those individuals are getting fined either way. So there's no difference. Right. Yeah, well, and it's like you said, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks sometimes, and that's that's what that comes from. But at the same time, you know, if you look at, at the way that Ohio says has their their deer hunting, uh, you know, D map if you will, or, or WMA if you will, they you know theirs is a little bit different, but they have you know this county in this area is a one doe county. This county is a five doe county. 
this county is a as a four doe county and if like you were saying you know if they did that in pennsylvania that would probably definitely help because you have counties like it would have to be a little bit smaller than what it is because they have these giant wmus like uh you know 1a uh um, I think 4D is a pretty big one. Uh, they're, 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 it doesn't matter which one. Some are much bigger than others. And how, how are you going to you – know, this county may have way less deer than this county, and they're in the same WMU. So that's where guys get mad because they're like, oh, why, why are they giving so many doe tags out? There's no deer in that county. Yeah, because that county that's north of there is full of them. So if you go from county to yep. county, I think it would be a little better personally. But, you know, I'm not a deer biologist. I'm just shooting my thoughts out. Yeah, I just, as a person that spends probably more time in, in the woods and around the woods than probably most of the people doing these studies in our areas, it's just, it, it's crazy to me, man. And I know EHD kind of killed us because we got, we got hit with it really bad five years ago or four years ago um, in the western part of our county where areas like we have a propagation area that got absolutely decimated i mean they lost i think they said upwards of 70 percent of their deer herd wow. from it um and then i'm 10 miles east of there and i didn't lose a deer so i understand it's hard to balance and it's really hard to focus as an entire state but i do think they should get to a point where where leases and property owners can properly manage their own deer herd um we don't have most states have landowner tags and i understand right. you can get dmap through a specific whatever group doing all that but you don't get landowner tags in pa to manage your deer herd or right. you don't get lease tags you know it's because there's no better conservationist than a hunter so a hunter's not going to overshoot their deer now i understand on state lands and stuff you're gonna have to set implica implications in because you can't properly manage how many people are coming in and out of that that land mm -hmm. but you know, for our example, we have a hundred, let's say one of our leases is 200 acres and there's five of us on it and we want to take, um, 10 does out for every two bucks we're shooting this year. We can't do that. What we can do is we can shoot two does and pray or right, for five of us, we can shoot five does and pray to God that, um, you know, we see a buck because there's still 65 does running around the woods and it's yeah. like, it's not healthy for the deer and it's not healthy for us as hunters because we're not seeing much of a rut because we don't just bucks don't have to travel. Yeah. Unfortunately there's people out there that don't understand that, you know, they, they want to see like it used to be when we had three day doe, they want to see 30, 40 doe out in front of a couple small bucks. And that's the way they want to hunt. Cause that's what they were used to growing up or whatever. But what they fail to miss is you can't, you can't have both, right? You can't, you can't be shooting 160 inch deer and have 30, 40 doe, out in front of that deer right it's they, they just they can't they can't coincide together that they will just eat everything they'll they'll eat themselves to starve themselves they will they'll... yep they just compete with each other and people don't understand that they, yeah it's crazy you look at states like iowa i mean iowa is a multiple buck state and if you ask anybody that's hunted iowa that you see more bucks than does out there yeah. <laughs> and um it's what you call the mecca of whitetail hunting in, in the United States. And I understand they're ran differently with their non-resident program and, and all that. And it's obviously different habitat and just a different genetic of deer out there. But yeah. it, I would just think we would take suggestions from States that do properly manage deer herds and, and just look to strive to make improvements. I understand they've done things and I think we got more doe tags this year, but the problem is, is with this new system, every lazy you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry that was too um, lazy to fill out their pink envelopes and mail them in on time can now hop in at any time and buy their doe tags for their daughter and their son and their grandma and their 
uncle. You know what I mean? The whole family's getting doe tags now, whereas it was a pain in the ass beforehand and people forgot. And and if you were lazy, you didn't get a doe tag. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. Now I think one dude's going out today with non-residents and I don't even get a chance at a second one, at least with the pink envelopes. <laughs> Last year I got two one Bs, so it was it was awesome. But right, yeah, you don't think there's gonna be a chance this year. No, no. Judging from what what happened there, you know, but also at the same time, like I seen all the stuff of people got on like all at the same time. The eight o'clock that morning, they opened it up and they were like, "Oh, I'm you know I have to wait and this is crazy and how am I gonna get my deer tag?" Well, like they didn't sell out one of them until like five days in like i don't see why everybody was going so freaking insane to get on there and do that but hey what i don't know but pennsylvania definitely looked at idaho and said oh your system's a total shit show hold my beer watch this right. yeah yep. <laughs> let's do the same that's thing funny. that's funny yeah so all right man well you know i feel like we got to cover a lot of the shit we wanted to cover and and i appreciate the conversation i appreciate you coming through and i appreciate uh you know everything that we talked about and i look forward to 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 seeing where the season goes for you and and uh maybe possibly coming out your way sometime so um yeah for sure i appreciate you having me and yeah like i said we got some hopefully some big things coming on the spring you know was kind of our time to patch everything together and get a group that that wants to dedicate to filming and we did that and got everybody up to snuff on learning and we're still in the progress of making everything, you know, a fluent machine. And hopefully by September 1st, we got a bunch of good um, uh, camera gear ready for goose content and then lead into deer hunting and duck hunting and everything from there. For sure, man. And before you go, Tyler, tell everybody where they can see where what you're doing and, and how they can keep up with everything. Yeah, so our uh, YouTube page is at Creekside Wildlife. Um, same with Instagram. I think. I think Chase has a TikTok rolling now, uh, the whole nine yards. And then, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be going to Saskatchewan in October, a freelance waterfowl hunt. We'll be up going up there for 10 days. And then there's a couple guys doing a bunch of different trips, different areas, and should be some cool stuff. We try to try to do it, you know, as most shows that you see on YouTube that everybody likes, it's just no bullshit. Just leaving it all in there and showing the failures, showing the average guy and, you know, not doing anything too extensive. So it should be a good time. We're excited. We're not doing it for any purpose besides for ourselves to have fun and enjoy watching our hunts. And hopefully one day our kids can look back and see, you know, our dumbasses running around the woods and (laughs) spending all this money to, to chase wildlife across the country. Uh, Don't worry. They'll probably just follow right in your footsteps and and do the same thing. Uh, We can only hope. We can only hope. I agree. More of them out there. Can only hope. Can't push it, but can only hope. So, all right, brother. Well, I greatly appreciate the conversation, and uh, you know the show will check back in with you later in the year, see what's going on. Yeah, sounds good. Good luck to yourself as well, and good luck to everybody listening, and stay safe. Okay, brother. Tight lines, good blood trails, and for you guys, I guess uh, let's do black skies, man. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just, just we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. So, all right. Thank you. You have finished another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys, I want to thank Tyler for coming through on this one, spitting some knowledge for us about hunting waterfowl because I'm not familiar with it, and I definitely learned a lot on this episode. And I hope that you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you want to follow Tyler and his journey, you will need to check it out on the Creekside Wildlife page with Mike. Great 
guys, man. I've been been in contact with them for a while, and you should definitely, definitely see what they got going on. As for the show upcoming, guys, we have a legend coming on this show, and um, some of you may know who that is if you follow the Instagram page. And for those of you who don't, get ready for it here. <laughs> a Pennsylvania legend. It's going to be a good one. Guys, thank you so much for the support. Here we go.